ska vi. Men jag är ingen författare så det behövs inga applåder här. Eh, vi låter det vara lite öppet så det får bölja bakom mig och bakom författarna så blir det lite luft in i denna varma lokal. The audience, welcome to the Cultural Center. My name is, as always, Ingemar Fast. So far, writers from 51 countries have appeared at the venues of the International Writers' Stage. And since um, statistics is never static, this number will change within a couple of minutes into 52, and I'm very happy about that. And uh, the 52nd country is the Ukraine. But you will not only meet a writer from the Ukraine, but also a writer from England, and maybe they have something in common. Yes, tonight you will meet two writers which are now presented in Swedish with novels that has attracted, have attracted a lot of attention, praise, and in one of the cases, quite the dispute. And they may, I mean, they're not maybe, they are two completely different writers. But maybe, as I mentioned before, they may have a few vital details in common. For example, uh, the wonderful, the mutual ability to create book titles that are simply impossible to ignore, even in Swedish. En kort berättelse om traktorer på ukrainska. Translated by Thomas Grundberg and published by Prisma. Fältstudier i ukrainskt sex. Translated by... Uh, Irina Volchanskaya and published by Nordstedts. And uh, after having listened to these book titles, you realize that, that they have another thing in common, something to do with a country, something to do with the Ukraine. But um, let's not for a second imagine that we're, we're going to squeeze these two amazing writers into, into one mold by force. No, that would be to discredit them, I think. So let's give each of them a session with Maria Talger from the Swedish radio. So it's time for me to say Laksavo, Prosimo, Oksana Sabushko and Marina Levitska. And Maria. Yes. Now you can look at everyone. <laughs> now, now we have to wait a little for Oksana, but you, now you know what she looks like. It's good. Yeah, that's how us Ukrainian women look. Typical. <laughs> In the middle, yes. Not me. Oh, you stand. Yes. Yes. Hörs jag så här? Nej. Here we go. Can you hear me? Yes. Good. And now you hear the both of us. Good. Yes. Very nice to see you here. Very nice Marina to be Levitska. here. 
And you are a bestseller writer. Apparently I am. It's suddenly. Suddenly and completely by surprise, really. It's taken me as much by surprise as anybody. So this novel is the very first you got published. It is the first I've got published, but I've served a long, hard apprenticeship. I've been writing probably since the age of four. You know, poems, little stories. I have two completed novels that are unpublished. And so finally, I was just about to give up, but I thought, well, I'll just have one more go. Hmm. And I was lucky. <laughs> and now it's translated into 26 languages. Something like that, yes. yes. Enormous number, yes. It's very exciting. And long listed for the Booker Prize shortlisted for the Orange Prize, yes. and you got the Woodhouse Prize. Yes, it's called the um, Bollinger Everyman Woodhouse um, Prize for Comic Fiction, um, which is it's a very nice prize to get. But mm. actually, it's, what you get from Bollinger, you get a lot of champagne, which is nice. What you get from Woodhouse is the complete works of P.G. Woodhouse, which is very nice. <laughs> and what you get from Woodhouse is that you have a pig named after the novel. So somewhere in the English countryside, a very contented pig is running around with the name A Short History of Tractors in Ukrainian. <laughs> oh, that's nice. I know. <laughs> I thought the pig was named Marina Levitsky. No, 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 that, no, that wouldn't be right at all. <laughs> no, I see. But it's so interesting that Peter Woodhouse, I mean, he's a great humor, humor writer. Yes. And, and this book you have written is very, very funny, very entertaining, but it deals with a tragedy, with a small tragedy or a family tragedy and a big tragedy of U the Ukrainian tragedy. Yes. And you managed to write a funny book about this and still serious. Yes. Was it, was it a sort of strategy or is it your natural way of being? I think I just started writing and I suppose when I started I had an idea that I was going to write something very meaningful about the human condition. And then I found actually that the human condition is quite humorous as well. <laughs> Maybe you should tell us a little bit about your background, this Ukrainian origin of yours. And well, my parents are, are from Ukraine, and um, my mother is from the eastern part of Ukraine. Uh, her family came from Poltava, and, the, uh, and then they lived in Luhansk. And uh, during the war, she lived in Kiev. Um, but actually, one, one of the things is that my mother is from a, her, her father, my mother is from a mi military family. And uh, because they moved around, I had the very good fortune to be born in the country which is now Poland. And, and you'll see why it was very fortunate. My father is also from Kiev, um, but his family also had a country house which is um, to the south of Kiev, and that's more in the west of Ukraine. Um, and during the war, as you, as you know, um, when the um, German army occupied, when they invaded Russia, they occupied Ukraine, and they took the population, the able-bodied people who they found there, and they put them on trains, and they took them um, to work in the German labor camps. And that's how my parents ended up in Germany. And at the end of the war, most Ukrainians um, were sent back to, um, under the Churchill-Stalin Pact, most Ukrainians were sent back. But because my mother had actually been born in what is Poland, and she had a document to prove it, we were allowed to stay in England. So in that respect, we were very fortunate. But you were born in a refugee camp in Germany. I was born in Germany at the end of the war, yes. And grew up in England. And grew up in England. But you speak the language, both languages, Ukrainian I and I spoke English. Ukrainian at home. And then, to my misfortune, I studied Russian in school. So now I speak a strange language, which is sort of half Ukrainian and half Russian. 
I, and I say, you know, I speak Ukrainian and Russian, but I can't remember which is which. So I just sort of muddle them up. But, but people seem to understand me. Yes, that's good. <laughs> Have you been to Ukraine? I went to Ukraine for the first time um, in 2004, and it was after I'd finished my book. So I didn't really know what to expect. You know, my images of Ukraine were from the stories that my parents told me. And I imagined this uh, very beautiful, lyrical, pastoral countryside, sort of full of... It was, it was my parents' childhood memories, which they sort of poured out to me. And, and actually, I wasn't disappointed. Ukraine is still very, very beautiful. Um, but, uh, but what I... We, we visited my father's house, the house that he was living in before they mm -hmm. went to Germany. And, you know, nothing had changed. And the family who lived there was still cooking on the same wooden stove. Um, there was still, I think, ele electricity from two wires in the ceiling. And the only water was from a well which my parents had dug at the front of the house. So in, in some ways, it was wonderful that nothing had changed, but also nothing had progressed. And that was very sad. I think it's more so in the countryside than in, in the towns, obviously. Hmm. And this, this funny and serious book, this bestseller, you have used many things from your own family story. But it's, it's not autobiographical, but you have used... Yes. Uh, you know, and the, the main thing. Yes, yes the sort us. of the borderline between fact and fiction. Mm. When I was writing this story, I didn't really have any particular idea that it was going to be published. So I just wrote things that came into my head. And people very often ask me, you know, but um, what happened? You know, is this your father? And so, yes, my father did marry um, after my mother died. And I thought, yes, this is a fantastic idea for a story. And so it's not exactly as it's described in the novel, but it was a very good starting point. I knew then that I had a story that I knew I had a story that was a winner. Yes, because this some of you have read the book, I think, and some of you haven't. And you know that this story is about an old man who calls his daughter and says he's 84 and says that he's going to marry a voluptuous Ukrainian blonde of 36. Exactly and so. the daughter is a bit shocked and says, are you sure you know what you're doing? And he says, yes, I know. And then, of course, this Ukrainian lady, she wants, he takes his money, she starts to beat him, and the, his two daughters try to save him. And uh, they get more and more violent, or what you say, to, to find, the, to save him. And yes. it's not so easy. And it's very, it's very sad, but it's also very funny. And yes. Yes. Well, you know, age is never, is never dignified, actually. Or maybe in some countries, in some cultures, it is. But actually, you know, you, you, you lose bits of yourself as you age. And one way of coping with it is to laugh, to laugh about it, really. Because, of course, it's, you think that, oh, you shouldn't laugh about old people who want sex. But you have written it in a way that, in a warm way, that you can laugh. But, you know, I think the most shocking thing to young people is to imagine their parents having sex. This is the absolute taboo. Well, you know this. You know, if you look into your hearts, it's true, isn't it? This is the thing that you don't want to think about. And so once you give yourself permission to explore these murky depths, it mm. can be quite fun. Yes. <laughs> and these two daughters, they are really shocked. They They're don't want shocked. to think of that. Absolutely, yes. And of course, I was equally shocked. Um, and I, sh I should maybe, maybe say that, um, you know, before I wrote this book, I have quite a, a lot of experience of age and aging. I worked for a charity called Age Concern. 
um, which is about um, you know caring for elderly people in the community. Mm. And so this was an issue that came up in, in different forms. I mean, obviously, n none of the characters are reproduced in the book, but I did learn quite a lot about the kind of turmoil that happens in families when the older generation think, you know, I've just got a few years, I'm going to have some fun before I die. And the younger generation think, oh dear, it's my turn to be responsible. And this kind of, you know, it, ha it happens in every family. And it's strange that it's been so li little written about because it's, it's very sad, it's very painful, but it's also quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you're not there, I think. Especially when it's not... <laughs> when you can just well, read. Actually, <laughs> but, you know, um, I don't know if you know the, the English poet Wordsworth said that um, poetry is emotion recollected in tranquility. And sometimes mm -hmm. I think that comedy is tragedy sort of recollected in tranquility. It's all the terrible things that almost but didn't quite happen. You know, if you think about the worst... The worst disasters you've had when your car broke down, when your tent blew away on holiday, these are the things that you laugh about when you remember. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you? It, was, it was so long ago I had a car, so <laughs> I don't remember when it, how it felt. <laughs> oh, well, it feels bad at the time. I'm sure. <laughs> but somebody, some, usually something funny happens then. I don't remember anything funny happened. But tell me about, tell me about Valentina, this voluptuous... Ukrainian blonde with his fluffy jumpers yes, and, and um, breasts like her bra is like a rocket launcher and her breasts are like torpedoes and of course she uses her breasts as a weapon in, in particular in yes. relation to this man in relation to all men um, but isn't it every man's fantasy to meet this woman um, I don't know if the men in the audience would like to comment on this but um, we'll listen to it afterwards we'll, we'll listen with interest yes, yes. <laughs> um, so yes of course she's, she's, she's a bit of a fantasy but, and of course I must say that it isn't only Ukrainian women who do this because at the time that I was writing this there were two very celebrated cases in the newspapers one of them was the Anna Nicole Smith the very glamorous um, American mm -hmm. I think she was a nurse who married an old man in her 90s and then tried to get him to change her will and the family contested it. And that was a sort of big case going through the courts. And then in England, we had our own um, English lady called Benvedida Buck, who was a, you know, a very glamorous Spanish woman who wore beautiful hats. And she married an elderly admiral and again tried to take all his money. And it, the, you know, these stories were so popular in the papers. And so, um, yes, I thought, why not? <laughs> So you used these models, or did you use something from your father's oh, wife? Uh, yes, well, maybe of I shouldn't ask you, but uh, I'm well, of course interested. You, you use a little bit of everything. Uh, yes. You know, when you're a writer, you, you take a little bit from here and a little bit from there, and you mix it all up, and you throw it onto the page, you see what happens. Because this Valentina, I mean, in a way she's a monster, and she really takes what she can, but, but she's also tragic in a way. Yes. There's, the longer you read, the, lo the more you understand her, because... She's trying to find a new life for her son and for herself, but I, I in a brutal way, of course. Yes, but I have to say that as I was writing, I fell in love with Valentina because she was such a powerful character. And I became more interested. And so, although in a way she started as a sort of stereotype, um, she, she acquired depths as I went on because, because I wanted to find them in her as well. I wanted to know why she was here and what she was doing. And also, you know... Well, a bit like Valentina, you have to seduce your readers um, to get them to read the book. But actually, as you go on, there are, there are some more serious aspects in the book as well, which you've touched on. Not only the, fam the tragedy of, 
um, the, the family, but also, you know, some of the terrible things that have happened in Ukraine. And really, um, you know, and, and hopefully that Oksana will talk about this as well, that mm. there's so many uh, women from Ukraine now come to the West in different circumstances, you know, that, that you could say they're fleeing their country or you could say that, that they are the main export from their country, which is, which is tragic because every country needs its women and it needs to value its women. Um, and so it, 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 it's, it's a very dark and serious theme as well that if you just present your readers with something too gloomy, well, this was my experience of my previous novels. You know, you don't get, you don't get them interested. No, so you have to be funny, you have to be entertaining to, f well, I, to, well, find, I, I, to give the readers also that you want them to read these I, important things. I felt that, things. yes. I, I, I suppose I felt that I had to seduce my readers as well. Yes, you had to seduce me and I think Thank you. people here, <laughs> otherwise they wouldn't come. Yes. Yes. And yes, because it's interesting with this family history. I mean, this father and mother while she was alive in this refugee camp and what happens to them. I mean, there are dark secrets in the family that are revealed during the story going on. Well, I think one of the themes of the book is, is about knowing and not knowing. And actually... Um, in the, in the end, what, what, the, what the narrator learns and what I learned is that there are things that you never discover. You, there are some things that you never know. And sometimes it's better not to know. And sometimes if you actually want to live your life, um, it's better not to know some things. And so um, this, the, the narrator sets out wanting to find out the truth. But actually, um, everyone who, who speaks to her gives, has a different version of the truth. And so in the end, you, you never really know. And um, I, th I think in a way that's what makes the book more interesting. That, that you never know the real secret. The, there is something terrible that has happened in the refugee camp. And sometimes, the never know. Which, sometimes the things which are, more, are withheld are more powerful than the things which are given. And that's something that I learned as a writer from the process of writing the book. But do you have such secrets in your own family? I mean, that you know, but you won't tell us, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, will, I will not answer that question. <laughs> oh, you can just say yes, and uh, then yes, I won't... Yes, no. <laughs> yes, I, w I won't ask you, I know, because yes. you don't want us to know, but... Uh, well, I don't want, you know, I don't want to spoil the book for the readers. What's no. It, you know, the, the, please treat the book as a book on its own merits and its relation to my life. Actually, it says it so at the beginning, and it's very important that you trust this is true. If it's a coincidence. Mm. You also write a little bit about the British immigrant policy because these two daughters are trying to get rid of Valentina, so they yes they call the immigrant. Yes, and this is a, you know it's obviously a very um, it's a very powerful topic in England all the time and especially at the moment. And there, you know there's been sort of one story after another about this, and I think. Um, you know, I, I think these, these issues are very difficult and, and they're happening, you know, when, when you watch the news, they're happening in every country in Europe, in France, in Spain, in England. It's, it's always in the news. And it wasn't so much my intention to write, you know, this is in the news, so I've got to write it. But I, what I felt that I was in a position to do was to give a, a human perspective on a political story. And so I think, you know, thank goodness, it, it isn't my job to solve this problem. But all I can say is what it feels like for a human being. Um, to be in this situation, and, and th that's you know th that's what I've tried to do. 
And there are, you know, obviously all the characters in this book are immigrants. There are immigrants from different generations, and they've treated their immigrant experience in different ways. And um, there isn't just one model for an immigrant. Um, there, are, there are many different ways of doing this. And, you know, there, is, there are as many um, ways of being an immigrant, obviously, as there are of immigrants. So it's, you can't say all immigrants are good or all immigrants are bad. What you can say is all immigrants are different. Hmm. Is there and anything all immigrants are human. Yes. Is there anything special you want us to keep in our hearts while reading your novel? I think the novel speaks for itself. And I think, um, no, I, th I think if there was, I wouldn't have had to write a novel about it. And the novel is quite complex. There's a lot in it, and you will put it together. Every reader puts it together in a different way. And th that's the fun of writing a novel, that you can, you can say many different contradictory things at the same time. And how do you look upon yourself? Are you your identity? Are you Ukrainian or English or an English with U Ukrainian origin? Or well, you know, M Maria, for the first 40 years of my life, I just wanted to be English. I studied English at university. I've, um, I sort of speak with a very English accent. I mean, I'm, all my topics of interest are English. My friends are English. I, I didn't live in a Ukrainian community. And you really, from, from childhood, all I wanted was to fit in and to be exactly like my friends. And of course, my friends spotted straight away that I was different and that they teased me about it, as children do. Um, but when I got into my 40s, I think there's a sort of, they talk about the midlife mm. crisis, and there's a point at which you're no, you, you know, you start, you're still looking forward, but actually then you turn around and start looking back. Mm. And when I started looking back, I started to get curious, and I began to wonder about my parents. And I could see that my parents were getting old. And um, yes, I became curious. And that's when I started to explore the past. And you know, what is it to be a Ukrainian? What is this country? What is it really like? And so um, I, I didn't write the book until I was in my 50s. But my interest really changed around about this time. And when my mother got ill, uh, I, I taped her. I made, I made a long conversation with her on tape because I knew then, and it, you know, it was quite a long time ago, I knew one day I'm going to write a story about this. And I thought I would write my mother's story. And it, it was quite a somber story, really. And my mother's story is in the novel. Mm. You know, it's sort of woven in among all the others, uh, all the other sort of strands and themes that are in there. Um, but actually, it, it, her voice was too quiet to carry a novel in a way. And she's there almost in her absence more than in her presence. Like, you know, it's, it's, one of the, it's one of the things, it's one of the unknown things which is present in the book as well. Yes, and you thought that your relatives all were dead or disappeared, but you have found some members of your family. Yes, my, my parents never, um, they did keep in contact while we were in Germany. And then after the Iron Curtain came down, it was quite difficult you know what what we heard in the west was that if your family had contacts um in the west then they would get a visit from the kgb and things might be made difficult for them and this is certainly what my parents believed so they they stopped looking um, for their family and then um you know after once ukraine became independent um they did they did actually write to various post offices but um, my father's family, you know, his relatives were no longer in Ukraine. They were living in Russia. 
And of course, my mother's sister had remarried, and so they, they had, her brother had died, and he had a, um, her sister had a different name. So somehow they were never found. But actually, through the power of the internet, I found them, and I've now been to visit them. And, it was, and, and some of them have been to visit me in Sheffield, and I have been some, to visit some of them in Ukraine. So now I do feel much more Ukrainian. I have, I have more of a sense of where I've come from. You have a Ukrainian from. family. I have a Ukrainian family, yeah. yes, it's quite strange. Are they familiar to you, these people? In a way, they're very familiar. But in a way, I think, well, who are these, who are these weird people? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a bit of both, yes. Yes. And you have a daughter. Yes. And is she in totally English? Or My daughter is totally English. She's not just English, she's Yorkshire. You know, um, I live in the north of England, and yes. it's, a, it's a very distinct region. And uh, my daughter speaks Yorkshire. She, I, I sort of speak, you know, I speak what they call the Queen's English, but my daughter sounds like a Yorkshire girl. And, um, and she, she doesn't really speak any Ukrainian. She knows a few words. I have to tell you this. The word that she knows how to say in Ukrainian is... Um, Cat, go and piss in the garden. Uh -huh. <laughs> because I'm afraid this was the word that was often, this was a phrase that was often uttered in our house. Oh. <laughs> but she looks Ukrainian. But she it? looks very like Ukrainian. And you know, when my family in Ukraine started to send photos, there was one photo of my mother at the same age as my daughter. And when we saw it, we really thought it was my daughter. It looks so like her. And so when we visited my family in Ukraine, I'm actually, because I, and it was my mother's family's, my mother's family we visited, but I look more like my father, but my daughter looks just like my mother. And so it was very strange for my mother's sister to see this young woman who was exactly like her sister would have been when she left. And all our relatives seized her and hugged her, you know, in their arms and said, our blood, our blood. <laughs> and the poor girl, she didn't quite know what was happening to her. <laughs> What does she say about this book? Oh, she likes it very much. It explains a part of her, her, her family to her. But my husband is a New Zealander, and she has also made her own voyage to New Zealand to discover her New Zealand family. So she's half New Zealand, half Ukrainian, and completely Yorkshire. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and your Ukrainian relatives, have they, have they been able to read this book? Has it been... It just recently, within the last month, mm. it has been translated into Russian. And I know the family who live in Russia, in Moscow, have read it, and they're, they're, they're very happy about it. And I don't know whether my family, obviously they have a copy in English, but their English isn't so good. And so now I'll be very, very interested to, to see what they say when they read it. Mm. And now, how are you going on? Are you writing on a new book? I certainly or? am. I certainly am, yes. I think, you know, having left it so late to get started, I just feel such a lot of energy. I just want to go on and on. I've, I've got a sort of queue of about four or five books waiting to be written. Oh, fantastic. Yes. About Ukraine or about something else? Or will it... The not necessarily, no. I, I don't think so, because most of my life has been lived in England. Um, this, this story was a story that only I could have told. And the next story also is a story that really only I could tell. But it's, um, it's set completely in England. Some of the characters are Ukrainian, um, mm. not all of them. Um, and I don't want to tell you too much because I want you to be surprised when you read it. It's like giving away the secrets, you know. Yes, I and know. Secrets, yes. Uh, secrets are important. Yes, and I was just a bit curious. You have to enjoy a secret, really. And so yes. withhold, withholding a secret is, is quite a fun thing to do. So I'm not going to tell you, but I can tell you the title. And um, it's called Two Caravans. Two Caravans. Yep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, if you read yes. on, um, there's a men's caravan and a women's caravan. 
And that's all I'm going to say. Oh, so thank you very much, Marina Levitska. And are you going to, no, it's, yes. I was going to read to you a little bit. Yes, that's true. You are uh, going to read. But have you got time? Yes, we have to, we have to take time. We'll take that. Yes. I was just going to read to you from the beginning of the yes. book. And I just wanted to say that having been unsuccessful at getting published, I knew that I had to put all my energy into the first, into the first page because, that, well, because what I knew is that when you send your book off to the publisher, mm. it sort of lies on a pile and nobody reads it. And so I thought, okay, I've got maybe one page to get somebody's attention. And it's the page which really summarizes the whole story. It brings out all the themes of the book. It tells you what it's going to be about. So if I may read it, I'll yes. be very quick. Oh, we had okay. said that. I just, I was so excited listening to you, so I forgot. Okay. So now, yes. So this is what it's all about. Two years after my mother died, my father fell in love with a glamorous blonde Ukrainian divorcee. He was 84 and she was 36. She exploded into our lives like a fluffy pink grenade churning up the murky water, bringing to the surface a sludge of sloughed-off memories, giving the family ghosts a kick up the backside. It all started with a phone call. My father's voice, quavery with excitement, crackles down the line. Good news, Nadezhda, I'm getting married. I remember the rush of blood to my head. Please let it be a joke. Oh, you foolish old man. But I don't say those things. Oh, that's nice, Papa, I say. Yes, yes, she's coming with her son from Ukraina. Ukraina, he sighs, breathing in the remembered scent of mown hay and cherry blossom. But I catch the distinct synthetic whiff of new Russia. And so mm. it goes on. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you very much for coming to listen to me in English. Yes. And uh, Marina is coming back on stage. First, Oksana will come, and then we'll have a little, a little short session together, and you can ask Marina questions, and also Oksana. Thank you. Yes, welcome, Oksana Zabushko. studies in Ukrainian sex. It's also a bestseller, but it's an old bestseller that's still going on. I mean, it appeared 10 years ago in, yeah, in Ukraine. Ukraine. It appeared 10 years ago, um, and five years ago it's been recognized as the book of the decade, uh, counting from 1991, that is, uh, from the advent of Ukrainian independence. So it is like the kind of the you know, landmark of the Ukrainian, post-Soviet Ukrainian literature and uh, of uh, the new Ukrainian literature, so to speak, of the independence period. And you are also a poet and uh, a university teacher? Oh, no, God Not at no. all. But no. you have been on readings in the States, on universities. Yeah, I mean, I've spent a couple of semesters in the United States, and uh, this has been quite an experience. Well, I, I guess uh, I owe you an explanation that uh, what's particular about this whole Ukrainian sex is that it all takes place in America. 
uh, where... Uh, because you don't have sex in Ukraine. <laughs> oh, what do you mean? Uh, <laughs> not necessarily, it's not about that. No? Uh, no. Uh, don't forget, you know, it's a, a post-Cold War book. So, mm -hmm. uh, my heroine, a Ukrainian poet um, named Oksana, uh, comes uh, to the United States to teach at the American University, surprise, surprise, Ukrainian literature for the American students. And uh, that's where she brings her Ukrainian boyfriend, a painter, and that's there, uh, well, in this, Ameri at this U American University campus, that they have, um, they are really traumatic relationship uh, which does not work at all, which uh, causes, uh, well, a great trauma in her life. And the whole book is actually, it's uh, like la voix humaine, uh, you know, in Gokto. It is this one woman's voice, because the book mm -hmm. starts uh, with, um, well, her sitting in her American uh, campus, study and working on some stupid paper for some stupid American Slavic conference. And in the same time, her, mother, uh, her mind is preoccupied with this traumatic relationship. Uh, they've broken, they've already broken, and uh, her boyfriend is still here, but he is going to go back to Ukraine completely ruined, destroyed, and everything. And, and all the time, um, all, all this uh, book is a fact, in that fact, you know, this woman's narration, uh, well, reviewing, revising their relationship from the very beginning in retrospect, in one stream of consciousness, and uh, all this time she thinks about this relationship, and that explains the title of her imaginary paper, so to speak. Uh, and she has... Fieldwork yes. in Ukrainian sex, that's what she is really worried about, and she is trying to explain for herself, first, first and foremost, what had happened. But in the same time, uh, America is important as, as the background of this very Ukrainian drama. Mm. Uh, because it's a kind of, um, you know, this, I don't know, East-West dialogue, the, this kind of cultural dialogue, because it's precisely this uh, West at its most Western, which is America. No, the whole the whole adventure of America is actually that it is well at least this has been my experience uh, that uh, it is the very essence of the Western civilization whatever it is supposed to mean um, striped of uh, all these uh, superfluous things like culture memory and history oh that's heavy yes <laughs> And we, we should tell <laughs> that. So you, you get this, so to speak, the very chemical, the pure chemical substance of what Western civilization, at least since Renaissance, has been about. And this woman has wounds on her body. I mean, it's very... Uh, well, I think it's more about, um, yeah, I mean, they've, they've been having this, you know, bad sex, uh, destructive sex, which was, of course, a part of a controversy or rather of this huge scandal that this book provoked in Ukraine when published. 
uh, well, like 10 years ago, this was really the biggest scandal in Ukrainian literature since time immemorial. For the last 30 years or something, it really kind of split the audience. Half of the audience was enthusiastically cheering. The other half was booing indignantly. And I've been through the gauntlet of the most outrageous criticism you can imagine. You probably don't ever want to know. Uh, mm. Well, um, Male uh, critics? Uh, actually, both. I've mm. discovered that open-mindedness and intelligence are not actually gender characteristics. <laughs> but you got lots of letters from women who said, thank you, this is my life, didn't uh, yes. you? Yes, yes, that's right. You know, that was, uh, that was very, mm, that, was that was actually something that I could not predict because um, the story was anything, my heroine's story is actually anything but typical. Uh, I mean, uh, not every Ukrainian woman goes to teach Ukrainian literature in the American university. Well, and uh, well, skipping all the other details, but uh, you know, this first avalanche of readers' letters, uh, this first feedback uh, was uh, from women readers, uh, well, age ranging from their early 20s to their late 60s, Thank, uh, saying, thank you very much, this is my story. Like, I've got the feeling that uh, you were sitting in my kitchen and I was pouring my soul into you. So uh, this was really amazing. This was something that I could have never predicted, neither expected, uh, uh, to discover that for the half of the nation, really, for the half of the nation, this had been the first book in their life that they could have identified with these silent traumas mm -hmm. that they've been having in their lives and they've only had been previously discussing, uh, well, in the kitchen with their women friends. So this book was very important for the, what you say, the soul, the culture of Ukraine. Uh, well, it's been important with many regards, actually, because what it is now, um, I mean, now after the Orange Revolution, after 2004, mm. and after 10 years that passed in the meantime, you know, with this new generation which grew up with this book at uh, their uh, parents' uh, night tables, um, <laughs> and which now, you know, takes certain things for granted, which like 10 years ago were a, a big cultural shock. Uh, well, for the, uh, nowadays, uh, the, m the most important issues that still provoke controversy and that are still discussed about this book are those about national identity, because basically this is uh, the book, I would say, um, what, I, what I tried to do in it um, was to explore like three circles of identity, or well, three circles of damnation, three circles, three rounds of, her, of hell, whatever you name it. Mm. Um, like, um, uh, there uh, three levels of identity which are important for my heroine. Uh, like, being born a woman, uh, being born a Ukrainian, and being a poet or on a broader scale, an artist, because it is also the book about arts and about, 
well, the crisis of arts in the contemporary civilization. And of course, it is not by chance that my heroine is a poet, and the book is full of her poets, or rather excerpts, uh, well, of mm. her poets that she is nervously composing in her mind at the same time. Uh, and uh, also of the descriptions of uh, his uh, paintings. He is a painter and she considers him to be a genius and uh, she brings him to America, well, to win America. Well, and of course they both fail. Mm. Yes, because <laughs> you can also read this book, this terrible and sad love story as a story about failure in many different it is, ways. It is, it is. It, it certainly is a story about failure and uh, on many levels, yes. Uh, but it is also, um, I would say it is a story about um, how actually you should, not, not only what you um, could and should learn from a failure in psychological terms, but also how you are supposed, how, how human can um, to work their failure all through, up to the very bottom, just to, to hit the bottom rock line, to, to go through it, and, um, and then to to turn it into some, some experience uh, which uh, then overcrosses, uh, overpasses um, the, the framework of their personal life, which becomes cultural <laughs> in, a broader, in a broad sense of the world, uh, of the world. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's also a book of the tragic sense of life and how we are losing it in, this, in the contemporary culture, in this world of ours, in this culture of uh, compulsory success, compulsory happiness, compulsory pleasure that we are all living uh, now in, well, in this wonderful uh, global village of ours or brave new world, whichever way you prefer it. Yes, you promised to read a little bit in Ukrainian, so we can hear the language from your novel. And I promised to read the <laughs> Swedish part. So Maybe you should yeah. tell us a little bit what's around it, because it, uh, you, it, you, it's this Donna or this American woman who is uh, yeah, it's named. Uh, yes. It's one of the concluding chapters, uh, yes. one of the, uh, well, if you may call it chapters. Uh, um, Subchapters uh, where um, the heroine, after well, after actually having uh, kind of restructured and reconstructed the whole story in her mind, and here I have to tell that uh, you know this is uh, this is uh, what, what's important about this book is uh, how our past actually never passes, how our past shapes our present day life and. Uh, while reviewing uh, this um, uh, this love story of hers, my heroine actually restores the family stories of them both, both hers and her uh, ex-boyfriends, 
and that's how it amounts to the national story actually. So what in fact this whole story amounts to is the attempt to kind of present the, uh, the trauma of national history in a shape of a female body story so to speak, to translate it into the language of the female sexuality. So in the, uh, this concluding chapter is actually the conversation uh, that the heroine has uh, with her American colleague. Mm -hmm. uh, lady and gentlemen, no, not only two ladies, rather one lady. Донна зі східноєвропейських студій, одна з небагатьох, із ким ти за цей час заприязнилась. Рослява напівірландка, напівслов'янська мішанка, досить приємне для ока поєднання, пшеничне волосся, теплі карі очі, високі вилиці, шкіра притрушена дрібною зерню ластовиння, як добре пропечена булочка кмином. В університетському буфеті, де ви умовилися на ланч курити заборонено, і Донна, допившись паперового кубка ту гарячу темнобуру рідину, яку американці чомусь називають кавою, тут таки запихає в рота жуйку – сублімація курева. Це ремегання в неї виглядає цілком симпатично, може тим, що Донна багато і щиро сміється, і від того враження, наче цілий час розсмаковує щось смішне. Дисертацію вона пише про гендеризм у посткомуністичній політиці. Її не на жарт цікавить, чому в тій політиці не було і нема жінок. Запитання, що незмінно заганяє тебе в глухий кут, скільки б тобі його не ставили західні інтелектуали. Блін, ну звідки мені знати? And so on and so forth. So, and now I'll try in Swedish. <laughs> Those of you whose Ukrainian is not so fluent, you can now have a Swedish translation. Mina damer och herrar, nej, den här gången bara mina damer. Rättare sagt en dam, en donna från institutionen för östeuropeiska studier. En av de få som du blivit vän med under den här tiden. En välväxt halvirländska och halvslavisk fittipanna. En ganska trevlig blandning faktiskt. Gyllene hår, bruna varma ögon, höga kindknotor, hy beströdd av små fräknar som en välgräddad fralla med kummin. Det är rökning förbjuden i universitetskafeterian där ni sitter och äter lunch tillsammans. Donna dricker av den varma mörkbruna vätska som amerikaner inleds med att kalla kaffe och stoppar genast ett tuggum i sin mun. Rökningens sublimering. Det här i disslandet är inte på något sätt motbjudande. Kanske för att Donna skrattar hela tiden och av hela sitt hjärta. Och man får intrycket av att hon tuggar på någonting lustigt. Donna skriver på en avhandling om genusfrågan i den postkommunistiska politiken. Hon intresserar sig på allvar för frågan om varför det inte finns och aldrig har funnits några kvinnor i denna politik. En fråga som du alltid går bet på. Hur många gånger västerländska intellektuella än har ställt dig den? Hur ska jag veta det för helvete? Det verkar som om Donna misstänker att detta är frö till alla våra problem. Som alla feminister är hon övertygad om att män är full av shit. Och så fort man släpper taget om dem bryter ut krig. Det uppstår koncentrationsläger, svält, ekonomiska katastrofer. Man stänger av varmvatten och el. Institutionen får smalare budget för andra året i rad. Och hennes disputation skjuts upp på obestämd tid. Därför tar Donna inte bara din historia till sitt hjärta. Utan hon lägger den också direkt in i sin perm med avhandlingsmaterial. Mina damer och herrar, låt mig fortsätta. Yes. Now they know. 
sounds very interesting. <laughs> it is. Your book is very interesting. And it has been translated into different languages? Well, it's been translated into some uh, uh, nine or ten languages uh, by now. And how do people react on this book? This Ukrainian tragedy and uh, you mean this in violence in different countries? In Have different you, countries. Because I, I can imagine that the reactions are different. Or well, uh, this block. Like, kind of, we all share the same experience and many things were recognizable. Well, for Hungarians, Poles, Czechs, uh, Bulgarians, uh, Russians, mm. uh, you know, many things like this were in common. Though, though it, uh, I mean, some issues were, you know, slightly uh, perceived from slightly different angles. That's, uh, that's a particular pleasure of being translated. Uh, that's a, the shortest way to learn uh, something important about the totally foreign culture. Uh, so by the feedback you get from your book, uh, well, you, you learn what's, what, what's most topical in your book, uh, in, in the country that you don't really know, and that's, that's a very interesting experience. Uh, so then, uh, with the Western publications, uh, well, it came later. Uh, the German translation has appeared uh, early this year, well, three months ago. Uh, and uh, it has been very successful, uh, and now the paperback is going to appear and everything. Uh, well, but the thing is, uh, like I've been asked here many times uh, by Swedish journalists, like why it's only now 10 years after that, that this book appears in Swedish? And um, I can only tell, you know, from, uh, the, from the experience that my international agent had been having in the West, uh, that um, that this is this it is re really uh, you know very very um, very serious responsibility to be the first uh, of your culture and the first of your country making it to the international literary scene uh, because people who don't know anything about your cultural background, people who, like 10 years ago, were not able to show your country on the map, mm -hmm. people who are hardly aware even nowadays after my country has made its profile very recognizable two years ago with the Orange Revolution and at least got some identity card in the Western mentality. Okay, here is the country where, where these millions of people were taken to the streets to have the fair election. Good, wonderful. Of course, I would have preferred, as a writer, I would have preferred to be recognized by well, some substitutes for some Ukrainian Strindbergs or Ukrainian <laughs> Astrid Lindgrens, uh, so to speak, which were my favorite Swedish reading. Well, but alas, you know, there are, Ukraine hasn't as yet, uh, doesn't have as yet, you know, any culturally identifiable images in the Western mentality. So it's very hard to appearing um, you know, like uh, to appear in like a writer from nowhere, and it is very hard for a publisher, you know, to do this book. Uh, so it is kind of, it's, it's kind of a mission for a publisher as well. And uh, and I think um, 
well, that's... Uh, and then again, the problem of translation. There are very few people, this book actually was not translated from the Ukrainian, but from the Russian translation. Mm. Uh, so there are very few people capable, very few specialists capable to do the d decent, direct translation from the Ukrainian into the major European languages. Uh, so, uh, so that's it. I mean, you... Well, you need independence, you need a couple of revolutions to make yourself at least visible in political terms. And it's only after that that it comes uh, turn for culture. That's the world we are living in. Yes. And so much has happened in Ukraine. So if you had written this book now, it would, it, would it be very different? I mean, this what is it, love story and this identity questions and... Well, Maria, you know, it's very difficult. A bit happier, maybe? It's very difficult to make this kind of projection. I never think in these terms, like, uh, like how I would have rewritten this book. Uh, um, I prefer to write new books. Yes, and what are you writing now? Yes, what do you think is important to write now? I know that you're writing, but you're traveling so much and talking about... <laughs> this book so you have no time but you are still <laughs> something is going on will you tell well, us something produced, about that yeah i've produced uh, you know some uh, i don't know maybe some eight seven or eight uh, books of different genres since this novel was published and now um, the novel i am writing now uh, well, it kind of uh, continues uh, which is, go is going to appear next year it kind of um, continues on a different level. Of course, uh, the same subject of the silent stories, of the untold history, uh, of these, um, you know, uh, closets uh, that uh, every family or maybe every nation has uh, closed and keeps its, uh, you know, dark sides. Uh, of uh, human being in them, and I've somehow, somehow I've been always interested in in that. So that's 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 my Ukrainian background because uh, you know Ukraine has uh, such a huge amount of untold dark stories, especially in the 20th century, which has been when when we have been just the playground of hell. Uh, that uh, it's it's actually a great advantage of being a Ukrainian writer nowadays. Why? To be able to articulate all mm. these things, to have this great amount of raw material, uh, of unexhausted stories actually, uh, this unexplored, you know, field of human dramas, of absolutely fantastic, uh, just heartbreaking or hair-raising stories, uh, and uh, but isn't it very heavy also to carry these heartbreaking stories? Uh, well, again, you know, it is it is the thing um, it is the thing what you manage to do with the failures, hmm. you know. Yes. What you how you manage uh, to tell dark stories, um, getting out a glimpse of light out of them. 
and uh, that's something I've been, I've been always trying to pursue, and uh, that's what I find most rewarding about being a writer. Well, you can do this, you can find this. I mean, if, if, you, if you succeed in it, well, that's the reward in itself. And then when the other people recognize this, this glimpse of light in this dark side of human being, well, well that's the other stage of, of reward, which is, which is also a pleasure. Hmm. So you want to open the closets, you want to reveal the secrets, in a way. Um, you know, I, I feel, I think that the utmost that the writer can do in contemporary world is being honest. And it is hard like hell to be honest, um, uh, to trust your own feeling, to be able to see like this primordial, um, chaos of things beyond the stereotypes uh, that we are used to. Um, to, to play, uh, so to speak, an honest game with the reality. Well, it's, uh, it's a dangerous game in a way, but, uh, but then again, you know, as I said, it is, it is a reward in itself. And this is, uh, this is the way of taming chaos, actually. And I think this is basically was li what literature is about. It is not about closing dangers in the closets. It's facing them, facing them very outwardly, face to face. And trying to overcome them and making them visible and taming them with words, taming them with language is the first stage of victory, of human victory over evil. Thank you very much, Oksana Zabushka. Thank you. And now, Marina Levitska, maybe you will join us. Yes. And take the microphone so you feel comfortable. Yes. Okay. Can you hear Marina? Can you hear me? Yes. Is it, is it, yes. Work yes. Is yes. it working okay? Okay. It's so interesting to see you at the same time because you are both Ukrainians, but you, you are like two, two sides of the same coin. The exile <laughs> side and the home side. Yes. And I wonder, when you have sitting here, been listening to each other, what's, what's your thought, spontaneous thoughts? Marina, what did, what did you think when you heard Oksana You know, when, I, when I hear Oksana speak, um, I think of myself as a phony Ukrainian because when, I'm, when I go around in England, everybody treats me as Ukrainian, mm. but actually when I listen to you, I see that I'm not really Ukrainian at all. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Well, I'm a fake. You're a fake. No, you are yourself. I'm myself, yes. Yourself. I have a different experience, really, yes. And you have escaped from many difficult things, but... Yes, I also feel that, that you know, that, that obviously my life has been a lot easier. Maybe I've been a lot luckier from having grown up in the West. Though maybe I've been less challenged as well. And um, maybe you've had an opportunity to explore things about yourself and your country and your history, 
which um, maybe my life has been, you know, sometimes when things are too easy, that's not good either. <laughs> and Oksana, what do you think, when you heard Marina talk about her oh, life I, and her book? What oh, I mean, I've been, I've been so involved in listening that I don't think I've had any other thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, it, oh, must it, was, it was very interesting. It, it must was, have it been a bit really exotic to you because, I mean, it, that uh, Marina's story was from the English point of view, in a way. And well, um, and you, I you could see Valentina leave for England and Marina could see her arrive. Uh, no, you know, uh, well, it's not actually that much exotic since, um, you know, um, uh, for the last 15 years of independence, um, I mean, we, uh, well, the genuine Ukrainian, okay, let's accept this term, we've kind of adopted uh, diaspora, hmm. the exiled Ukrainians in different versions of this phenomenon. So we've kind of incorporated this experience back into Ukrainian culture. So this reunion, you know, with uh, these exiled Ukrainians that used to be exotic back under the Soviet times is not actually that mm. much exotic. There, mm. are, there are many stories like this which, mm. uh, which, which were written in, in Ukrainian I think there's literature. Even a, there's yeah. even a TV program, isn't there? Uh, the, yeah, the, it's, yeah it's, an, it's, a, it's on the TV program mm. and uh, lots of stories like this, you know, mm. similar to, well, they're all mm. different, mm. you know, but mm. kind of... Uh, uh, kind of the sure. one that that Marina told mm. us about mm. her background. Lots of lots of stories like this, uh, you know, appeared uh, well in Ukrainian media and mm. in, in in Ukrainian mm. writings and Ukrainian literature mm. as well. So that's also part. You are not really fake, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's also part of this Ukrainian uh, yes. this this Ukrainian history of the 20th century. Yes. So that's it. But of course, in England, um, my story is very exotic. And though, although Ukrainian people have been living in England um, since the war, they're actually have been quite invisible. You know, they, mm -hmm. they because they don't look different and they learn English very quickly. And mm -hmm. um, so people know that they're there, but they don't really know what goes on behind the closed doors of the Ukrainian clubs. Well, I think British are actually very insular. I am not very sure that they are very much aware of what is going on in Sweden either. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, but you see, they weren't even sure of what was going on in their, you know, in their own cities. <laughs> I wonder, is, is there any special question that you want to ask each other? I mean, something that's difficult to ask every day, but now when you meet each other, <laughs> how could you, or why did you do that, or something, and we're just listening, and don't think of us. <laughs> well, she's provoking us. She wants uh, us to have a fight, Oksana. No, we're going not, to, not a fight. We're going to be ladylike and dignified, or maybe we're not, no, I don't know. I don't want you to have a I'm fight. I'm English just, about this. I just want to understand something or maybe know something that just you can know and tell us. And I think we possibly don't know each other well enough. What do you think, Oksana? Uh, well, have you read my book? No. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't read it because I've tried to read it, but my Russian is not so good. I have to read every word at a time. Uh -huh. And some words I have to look up in the dictionary. And I think that this is not you know, it's not a way to read a book like yours, certainly. Well, you see, well, I've read yours. 
Uh -huh. So uh, that's, yes. yeah. So, so we are not on equal terms. Quite right. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but have you ever? And that's yeah. You know that's that's an advantage of being born uh, in the language that no one else uh, right. outside your country mm -hmm. speaks. You have to learn the other languages and you have to master the other codes to be, mm. uh, well, able to communicate with mm. the outer world. And I think that's, uh, that's again, you know, that's kind of the, this, you know, inborn failure which gives mm. you, well, like certain, certain advantages that's exactly in the end. So, yes, mm. That's exactly mm. so, because of course, I, I wasn't born with English as a mother tongue, but it, it, it is the most fantastic gift I think I acquired from living in England. There have been some um, uh, some Yiddish writer, um, well, apparently Yiddish is a minor language, yeah? Uh, Jeffrey mm. Gladstein, who, when asked uh, what's the difference between him and T.S. Eliot, uh, he said the difference is that I have to read T.S. Eliot, but T.S. Eliot doesn't have to read me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's quite sad. So I would... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, well, as someone who has been born in, in the Ukrainian language and, uh, and, and is a Ukrainian writer, I would say this is all the verse for T.S. Eliot. <laughs> because these oblig obligations of this kind, well, they really enrich your experience. Of course yeah. they do, of course mm -hmm. they do. But Marina, could you feel at home in Ukraine? You have been visiting your father's house and you said it was a bit sad. Yeah, I did. I felt at home and not at home. I felt, that I felt that the child in me, the person I was when I was a child, belonged in this place. But actually, um, the adult me is, w was looking as an outsider um, at it. So it, it, it was a very strange sensation, really, because it's true that, you know, the Ukraine I saw was the Ukraine of my childhood, the Ukraine, my parents, and I recognized it immediately, and it felt like home. But the person that I've become after, you know, um, 59 years of living in England is not the same person. You, how could I live in a place for, for all those years and, and not become part of the scenery as well? And when there's um, football or something in TV, uh, between England and Ukraine. I always <laughs> cheer for New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> and Oksana, I mean, when this Oksana who writes this book, I mean, sometimes she hates her country. Well, at least there's love, but there's also hatred. She, sometimes she describes even the small children in Ukraine as very ugly. And I was wondering, have you ever wanted to just leave your country and no. go abroad, go living in exile? Never? No, 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 no. I don't think exile is a good experience for a writer. Um, well, uh, language is a very physical thing, and language does belong to the landscape. Language is something that you can't put in your suitcase and take overseas. At least, uh, well, no exiled writer had really succeeded to. Mm. Uh, that's the case. That's the case. Uh, well, that's a sad story, but that's, that's a story. So that this would have been uh, the first answer to, to your question and uh, the most immediate one that comes to my mind. And uh, the second one would have been, uh, well, why should I? I mean, 
I mean, that's my country, and uh, and it is, um, you know, about this book. Well, I have to make uh, the important warning. Uh, you shouldn't take uh, everything bitter said about Ukraine literally. And you shouldn't take this book as a guide to the Ukrainian love life. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, children are Ukrainian children are beautiful as all the children all over the world are. And uh, this book actually, I mean, was meant to make uh, a very strong point, uh, you know, this uh, very, very important, you know, metaphor of um, attacking certain things, you know, about, about cultural stereotypes. And, uh, and this book intentionally sharpens the edges um, quite, in a quite grotesque way, in a sarcastic way. So, uh, so it is, it is an angry woman's voice, and so intended. It was meant to be an angry book, and I was very angry when I was writing it. And, and it, 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 can be, it can be heard, it can be sensed, and uh, well, that was uh, also a way of, I don't know, overcoming your fears. Uh, well, another another way, you know, Marina was. You know, I, I really, I, I was really um, interested in what you've said, like how you how you seduce your readers. Um, well, by kind of um, yes. well, making it e making it easy for them to, or making it difficult to put down once they've started. I think. Uh -huh. So mm -hmm. now it's time for the audience. I think many of you have questions. I try to to see, and I hope Ingmar will help, because he has a clear brain, good legs. Bara, bara ge mig ett litet tecken, om ni vill ställa yes. en fråga, så kommer jag. Du, vänta, ska vi se, så kommer jag springa. Yes, he has a microphone, so. Ah. Yes, uh, I want to thank you. It's been very interesting to listen to both of you. And I want to say to Mar Marina, Marina, Levitska, that I'm very happy that you have written this novel. I haven't read it yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. My father came here as a refugee from the Ukraine. Oh, how interesting. <laughs> yes, and I've been living, I'm a second generation, and I, I feel that the Ukraine has been so invincible. It hasn't been seen or uh, yes. recognized in Sweden at all. And not the stories uh, that people, the history, the whatever, the trauma, whatever f they have lived through in Ukraine. So I look very forward to, to reading your book, and I'm very happy that you have written it. And I also can recognize this 84 years old man who fell in love with a very young woman. My father did too. Oh, did he? <laughs> so, it's very interesting you. that you say this because I've actually had quite a few letters from people saying this. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, thank you very much. Well, thank you. That's very nice of you. Yes, more questions? Or comments? Um, you said that uh, you didn't think that exile was actually good for a writer, mm -hmm. but couldn't you argue that, in fact, um, the world is actually a better place because you've got diaspora writers who are actually um, stopping the monoculturalism that, we're, that, that, that we are threatened by? Uh, 
um, the, 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 it's precisely this interesting mixture that is providing new insights and, and against a homogenized mm. worldview, a cultural view. Sounds very serious, sorry. Um, well, I'll answer it quickly and you can answer it more depth. I think diaspora isn't quite the same as exile. Exile is when you belong in one place and you end up in another. Whereas diaspora is when you, when you grow up in a different country and so you actually live, in, live across both cultures. And actually, I think that diaspora, you're right, it's, it's, it's wonderful for a writer um, because you're, you're in the culture, you know it very well, but also you're an outsider and you're standing out looking in and you know you see it as, as though through a window, and I think um, certainly in England, a, a lot of the sort of um, very popular and successful writers have been people who've come into England, and or whose families have come into England, and who who know that they have a story to tell, um, and but they know how to tell it because they know their readers, they, they they know who they're writing for. In a way, I think if you go and uproot yourself and live in a different country, it it, it isn't it isn't the same thing at all. I, I don't know if does that answer um, the point or um, have I think yeah I think you've answered it perfectly I uh, I couldn't agree more that's that's very true and especially you know when you're when you look at the contemporary world literary scenery well you see all this uh, you know second uh, first or second immigrants uh, generation immigrants mm. writer uh, well, who kind of, you know, translate uh, the uh, family experience uh, into the cultural code of the uh, new home countries. Um, well, uh, that's a very interesting phenomenon. That's really very interesting phenomenon. And uh, this, I'm sure you have, you have something similar in Swedish literature now as well. And uh, this enriches uh, your culture, first of all. And, uh, and that's, that's a very good way to, to exchange, uh, very, very good way of understanding, uh, well, the otherness, so to speak. Uh, um, well, but, uh, but that's not exactly what, what I meant when I was speaking about exiled writers. Yeah, yeah I both agree and disagree, uh, because there are, of course, uh, also people from the, the colonies, the French, the, the British and so on, who perhaps uh, were forced to, to, to grow up at school, go through English or French, and therefore can write very well in a second language and then have reached places uh, and uh, great fame. But I think, I don't know if it's, he's an exception, but in Sweden we have an author very well, I'm sure all the audience have read something by this Greek author who switched language uh, after coming to Sweden, uh, Kalifatidis, and uh, it is one of my favorite authors. I don't know if he's an exception. I have myself not lived in Sweden for a very long time, and I'm not an expert, but he, he was already writing when I left Sweden many years ago, and he's still carrying on. Yes, any more questions before? We say goodbye. Yes, yeah, so we've got a question to Marina. 
Uh, I've read your book in English, and I really liked it. But I'm quite intrigued by this story about tractors. How come you added it to your story? Ah. <laughs> well, um, my father was an engineer, and he was writing um, a short history of tractors, and he was writing it in Ukrainian. And I just, and I, I thought it was completely mad. I thought it was so funny. Um, but of course, his book was actually a technical, you know, it was about technical progress. And, um, but I, but I, I, I wanted, to, I so wanted to take the idea and uh, to sort of weave it in, in, into my book. And so I realized that to do this, I would, I would have to find out about tractors. And, and I knew I couldn't, I knew I couldn't really hack it, um, you know, doing the um, engineering history. Um, so of course I went onto the internet and cyberspace is full of tractor enthusiasts. There are thousands of them out there. They have photos of their tractors. They have descriptions of their tractors. They have histories of their tractors. So actually, it was much easier than I thought. Well, and I think fact, it adds a quite nice... Uh, it, it's really, it works really well in the book. Thank you. And I would have to say, um, and probably it's the same in Swedish as in English, um, all the bits about tractors are in italics. So if any of the readers, and I must admit I had the women readers in mind at this point, if any of them felt that it was not their sort of thing, it would be very easy to skip those passages. <laughs> not that I would want for one moment to encourage anyone to do that. Yes, well... If there are no more questions, then we say thank you very much for listening. And thank you very much, Marina Levitska and Oksana Jabushko. Thank you. Oh. Well, thank you. Oh, thank you. How lovely. Ah, oh, really? Oh, thank you. How beautiful. Thank you. What is that? Oh. That's amazing. Aww. Thank you so much. It is so sweet wow. of you. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. And the flowers. He obviously thinks that you've had too much schnapps already. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. It's, it's, it's Thank the you right so much. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming tonight. Marina Levitska, Oksana Zabushko. Maria Talia, and I'm sure that you will linger on for a while and sign your books. If, we will. If, and thank you very much for inviting us here. And I also want to express my gratitude towards the Swedish Institute, Helen Siegeland, and the British Council. Thank you so much for coming tonight, and do return. Next time we're here, we're actually not here, we're, we're at the terrace, and Sadie Smith is giving a brief appearance Ooh. on June the 2nd. So... Uh, Look out for, for the ads. June the 2nd at 7 p.m. Great. Congratulations. 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 Congratulations.